City Streaker. X-Rock 80, El Paso. KLIF trucking through traffic at a 524 mark. KNOW with more summer fun than anyone. 89 W. Boss Radio. 93 KHJ. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Radio What Happened. This is episode number 20, believe it or not. And as usual, I'm with my podcast partner, Jim Christofferson. Thank you, Terry. We've got the guests that we've been telling our listeners about for the past couple of programs. One of the forefathers of modern day 21st century radio, a person who was on the ground floor of the creation of Clear Channel Communications. He's a Texas Broadcaster of the Year recipient. And you're going to love this guy too, Terry, because he has what is affectionately known as a one-hit wonder. That's right. His name is Stan Webb, and we're going to play that song he had on the charts from the early 60s. And, of course, we'll talk about his time uh, in radio and all the paths that we have crossed. Absolutely. And uh, we've spoken about Gordon McClendon on the podcast in the past. And Stan was actually handpicked by Gordon McClendon to be a part of what Gordon called the Magnificent Seven, the brightest of the bright seven guys selected to be tutored on radio by the great one himself. You know, it's hard to explain that to somebody these days, how important and how impressive being picked to that uh, group uh, by Gordon McClendon was. Some, it's just hard to imagine. Absolutely. And, and, I, and he'll go on to, to explain it in great detail, but there were literally thousands of people who applied back then in, in the day, and he was one of seven people selected by Gordon McClendon. And of course, we'll discuss uh, Clear Channel Communications, which is now iHeartMedia. And we'll check out the old radio, what happened mailbag. We'll have all of that and more after this word from our commercial announcer. This portion of the show is being brought to you by Wipe and Gripe, the new pre-moistened individual sandpaper towelette. Wipe and Gripe, the new economical towelette that'll last twice as long as your face. Oh, my goodness. Wipe and Gripe? Wow. That guy's mind. Incredible. Love him. Gary Owens. Love this next guy, too. Stan Webb. We recorded this interview a little earlier, and there was so much to cover, Terry. We're going to do this in two parts. So here's part one, the early years with the one-hit wonder and the days of Gordon McClendon. Thanks, Terry. Our guest today is a legendary broadcaster from Cisco, Texas, where Conrad Hilton created his hotel empire, a man who was honored as the Texas Broadcaster of the Year in 2001. His name, Stan Webb. Stan, welcome to the program. We're honored and very thankful that you accepted our invitation. Thank you very much. I appreciate all that. You've been doing radio for a long, long time. And as one of the modern day pioneers, you helped usher in the age of radio deregulation. And you are on the ground floor of the creation of Clear Channel Communications, which of course is now iHeartMedia. We'll talk about all of that in a minute. But first, let's talk about Stan Webb. So before you got into broadcasting, you were on the radio, not as a DJ, but as a teen heartthrob with a one-hit wonder. <laughs> Stan, tell us about that. Well, my mother would love that, uh, that description of my career. 
Well, I had been playing in bands from, from my high school days, and uh, and uh, I'll try to condense this real quickly. I was playing in a in a group out of Brownwood, Texas, and we were a travel band playing around Air Force bases all over Texas and Oklahoma and so forth. I'd also gotten connected with some old friends, and they wanted to play in a battle of the bands in Dallas. And uh, so I joined them for this one-time event, and we end up winning the thing. And the prize was a recording contract. So way back then, that was a big deal. Well, those guys, you know, it goes through their heads. So they decide they're going to go off to Hollywood and become stars. Uh, but I didn't go because I needed to finish high school and, you know, all that. So later I run into a guy who, on the recording studio, he remembered me and asked me to come in and record these little songs that I wrote in high school. And they, they really are... 50s sounding songs. That's how we got started. We we hired uh, uh, some singers there in Dallas and a couple of musicians. I played uh, guitar on both the tracks and uh, it was a pretty simple little four track uh, uh, deal as I recall. And, you know, it took us about five or six hours maybe to do the two songs. So. And you got radio airplay. So I think my, my royalties royalties uh, totaled somewhat less than $3. So <laughs> didn't quite break even on it. Well, Terry, I know you're a master at finding audio. Can you pull it up for us, please? Absolutely. Here is Please Remember Darling by Stan Webb. Until the end of time. Please remember, darling. sisters and a brother don't laugh last names beavers and one of the sisters and the brother had a hit in the 60s called rick and robin 
that was their act name. And I, of course, I can't remember the name of the song, but it got airplay throughout the Southwest. Rick and Robin. Anyway, they were they were a very quick learn um, that night. And so we kind of came in. I sang the song. Uh, we developed, they developed the, uh, the background stuff. And uh, I showed the, the, two, the three other musicians the chord pattern I wanted to use. So again, we knocked it out pretty quick. You were in high school when you wrote that song. I was. Wow. Which may explain my, why I did not graduate cum laude or anything like that. <laughs> mine was elsewhere. Well, we could talk about your recording career a lot more, but we're going to move right into the broadcast career. You left Texas and you took your first radio job as a cheesehead in Wisconsin? In the suburbs of Milwaukee on a little AM daytime radio station. And the only reason I got hired was because I had a first class FCC license. And so I could read the, take the, the transmitter readings and so forth. And so that's how I got to Milwaukee, you know? So I knew nothing about it, had no polish of any kind. And so trying to overcome this Texas accent, particularly it was a difficult chore, as you might imagine. It was an interesting time, and I was only there maybe five months, I guess, something like that, before I went from that to McClendon. I mean, it yeah. was... And, and, and you actually learned a lesson from that radio station in Milwaukee uh, that we'll talk about in just a moment. But yep. again, only there five months, and hopefully it wasn't like in the middle of winter, because let me tell you, Wisconsin is a good place to be from. So what's really intriguing about, about your career, one of the many things, is you were handpicked by Gordon McClendon. Uh, Gordon called it the Magnificent Seven. So I'm assuming when he put this ad in the trade papers, he had more than seven people apply for that job. One of the guys that was involved in that process told us that there were something like 5,000 applications. Again, I was a very, very lucky person to have no experience working in this little daytime radio station in nowhere, Wisconsin, and to get picked by this guy. I cannot explain it to this day, uh, but I was lucky to get that first job and then lucky to get the McClendon job. So I've been a very, very lucky guy my whole career. Yeah, well, you've been blessed, there's no question, but I think a good person makes his own makes his own luck for sure. But I saw one of the ads that appeared, and you could tell it was a 1950s type ad, black print on white paper, but it said, send a copy of your IQ. Is, is, <laughs> what, did they do that? Did they really have people, I mean, know their IQ and send it to, to them as part of the application? It was the oddest application process. I, I told you about some of it, of having to write a short story and you had to read, seems like I had to read part of Beowulf. It was really the oddest application that you could ever see. And I did a lot of it at the, in the library at night and um, you know, somehow I got picked. Did you know who Gordon McClendon was really at that time? Well, I had been living in Dallas um, after I got out of high school. And so I, be, I was a huge fan uh, both KLIF in Dallas, which was McClendon Station, and KBOX. I don't, you, that's probably way before you guys, but KBOX was a great top 40 station, and they were a tremendous c competitor to KLIF. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, I knew who Gordon was, and that's why I was so jazzed about this application. So again, now when I think Gordon McClendon, I'm thinking programming, you know, we, we've had conversations about whether it was him or Todd Storrs who invented Top 40 Radio, but 
But when I think about them, I think of programming, you know, fast talking DJs, two minute right. records, jingles. Right. But you didn't, he didn't train the Magnificent Seven in any of that. Is that correct? We showed up down there and we lived on Gordon's ranch. He had this ranch called Cielo, which was out north of Dallas, between Dallas and Denton. And it was a movie studio. I don't know if you guys knew that he was a movie producer. I'm owned part of Paramount Pictures. But he produced what, I, what may be the world's worst movie, The Attack of the Killer Shrews. I happened to have a copy of it. <laughs> anyway, we lived out on this ranch for, I guess it was about six weeks, maybe, uh, something like that. And our, our professors were Gordon, Bill Stewart, who was the legendary national program director for Mac the McClendon Stations. Then a variety of the manager, their successful managers and program guys like Ken Dow there at KLIF in Dallas and um, Bill Young from KILT in Houston. It was really the, the creme de la creme of, of, of the McClendon uh, stations. Then we got an orientation in engineering. The director of engineering would come in and we'd have to study engineering. And we had the sales guy uh, would come in and teach us. We had to go through sales and, uh, and then marketing and the PR side of it. So uh, he had a person for each one of the important uh, assets of a great radio station. So Sounds as if Gordon McClendon taught you everything he knew. He did. It was a fabulous opportunity for me. It served me all the way through my Clear Channel days. And so, so after the graduation ceremony, what happened to, to you and the other six guys? Um, we got sent to various locations. The purpose of it was... In those days, he owned seven markets. So we were going to be sent to a market. And Gordon essentially did not trust radio managers. And he wanted to talk through us to the radio station. So because in those days, the, the, the managers all came from the sales department, right? And so they didn't get the programming in his opinion. So he would not allow the managers to deal in programming. That all came from Dallas. So we were going to be the conduit that he would talk through to the local stations. It didn't turn out that way, but that was the original concept. Uh, as we got through of it, uh, one of the guys became the program director right there at KLIF uh, as soon as we finished. Uh, one of the guys, his father owned the radio station in Tijuana which became Extra News. Did you remember that? That was the first all-news radio station in the country. It was licensed to Tijuana. It was 690 on the dial, 50,000 watts. And Gordon got the engineering down there, and they turned the beam of that 690, 50 kilowatter, right at Los Angeles. And so they had what essentially was a local signal in L.A. And they turned that to... XETRA, which became Extra News in Los Angeles. And it was the first all-news radio station. But they had the Mexicans required them to broadcast live from Mexico. So to start to originate some of the programming from Mexico, they would literally bicycle commercial tapes and so forth on the bus or even a kid on a motor scooter would take tapes down to Tijuana. Now, they would read the news from Los Angeles on a telephone line. That's how Extra News was going. Then later, Gordon bought uh, an FM, which became KOST. We all had different assignments, and I think he 
after listening to me talk for about a minute, he decided I had a career meant in sales and that I was going to go be a part of a new rep firm that they were going to start called McClendon 25. And the concept was it was going to only represent FM stations in the top 25 markets. And we would provide not only national sales representation, but programming um, um, and promotion um, uh, concepts and consultation, et cetera. I go to New York and I've been there for about uh, four or five days. I've forgotten how long, not long, long enough to get an apartment. And then Gordon called me and asked if I could come to San Francisco and they were gonna reprogram KABL, which was a legendary easy listening station in San Francisco. So my wife and I get on a plane and go out there and we lived in the, the uh, Sir Francis Drake Hotel, for you and your listeners who may be aware of the area, it was right on near Union Square where all the little hippie kids would all hang out. And this was the summer of love. We were programming KABL and they would bring variety of the people out there several of us from the magnificent seven group were there and then program directors from all over the country and they were trying to get a focus on the music they wanted that station to be it was in san francisco that gordon decides he's having a cocktail party for all of us up at his suite and it was there where he told me that i needed to go back to new york close up my apartment and move to detroit that just bought an fm station in detroit and I was going to be assigned to the McClendon 25 offices in Detroit. Now, keep in mind, I'm 23 or whatever I was, 23 or 24 years old. I had yet to make my first sales call, but yet I'm going to be a national rep. Again, a fortunate son. Being a good soldier, I didn't ask a question. We went to New York and Gordon's, I told him I just signed a one year lease on this apartment over on West 72nd. And uh, he said, send it down to the lawyers in Dallas, they'll take care of it. Well, um, Gordon's son, Bart moved in, took over my apartment when he went to Columbia there in New York City. So um, off we go to, um, to Detroit where the FM station becomes www. It was gonna be an easy listening station mirrored much like the success on KABL in San Francisco. The problem is San Francisco is a very romantic city. It was at the time. Detroit was not really a romantic city if you get my uh, uh, analogy here. And it was right, a w I arrived one week after the riots had kind of stopped. Wow. So Woodward Avenue was still smoking. So it was an interesting time. Gordon starts selling off the important pieces in the company, such as KLIF in Dallas. He sold KLIF to Fairchild, which had no experience in the broadcasting business. It was the biggest amount of money ever paid for a radio station at the time, $12 million. Then he sold KILT, and so, and so the dominoes began to fall, and it wasn't very tough to realize that, hey, something's, there's going to be a sea change here. So at the same time, I get recruited by a guy who was there in, in Michigan, and they, he was moving to San Antonio, and he recruited me to go with him to San Antonio, which I accepted the job. For everybody's reference, when, when was that? Okay. Um, 
That would have been in April of 67, and I left in August of 68, so whatever that is, you know. Or in the summer of 68, I arrived uh, in San Antonio. Still a lot more to come, but that concludes part one, the early years. Jim, in our next podcast, we'll do part two. That's the story of how Clear Channel Communications was formed. Now, let's check the old mailbag. Well, one thing we got to talk about is uh, winner number two on our music montage. And I think Stephen uh, Bailey is the only one that listens to our music montage. He's the only one that wants to put himself out there. He actually got nine and a half out of 10. Wow. One of the songs was by Chicago, which he got, but he couldn't tell the name of the song. And I really did put a very short snippet of that song in there. Um, I'm going to play it one time real quick for you and see if you can tell, and then I'll tell you what it is. Like my brother, the Ren and I. Nothing that can I got some money because I just got paid last time without a word. Girl, to be with you. Walking all the way she came. Baby, I love you. There it was. That Chicago song was Another Rainy Day in New York City. Remember that, Jim? It's a little obscure for me, but was it a hit? Oh, absolutely. It was oh, a hit. I can't believe you said that. Whoa. All right. Well, again, I think these things are tough, but uh, we appreciate Stephen listening and, uh, and all the mailbag. We've, we've gotten so many, uh, and, and we want to remind everybody uh, to check us out on our Facebook page as well. And uh, we really do appreciate all the people who have been liking that page and the comments that they're making there. Our website is radiowhathappened.com, which we've changed from the last time. We were able to get our actual name there, radiowhathappened.com. Our email address is radiowhathappened at gmail.com. So if you'd like to send us any suggestions, any air checks, any comments, any questions, just uh, send us an email, happened at gmail.com. And join us again next week when we ask the question, Radio, what happened? with more summer fun than anyone. Plus Radio 93 KHJ.